Amen. There's, you know, when I pray for my lost family members like my sisters or for those we preach to on campus, one thing I always praise is God revealed to them the utter vanity of a life that's separate from you. And that's one thing, we sing that song, you know, from a dull, empty life, I've been set free. And one of the greatest truths of my life is that pre-Christ, there was nothing to live for. Everything was vanity. So what if I made a lot of money? I never did. But so what if I did? There was no point. There was no target. There was no, uh, no depth to my life. And I, I never want to forget that. When we sing that song here tonight. Oh, you know, at the end of it, Lord, you're everything to me. And if, if ever there is a trinket or a bauble or an idea or a plan or something of this world that you allow in to grab the attention of your heart, and for you to put value to that, either one or two things have happened. Either one, you've never really tasted of Christ, or two, somewhere down the line, you backslid. Because right. this world has nothing to offer. Yeah. It's got nothing to offer you. And we're given all things in Jesus. And we sang that song uh, before that one. Uh, in these days, increase our faith. And tonight, and what's been my prayer recently, is that right there. Like the disciples prayed, oh God, increase my faith. Because it all boils down to unbelief. No matter what situation you face in your life, um, whereas you're trying to get through to God on a certain issue or you're distracted or something came up, anything that's negative, so to speak, in your life that's not, you know, not just the regular day-to-day -day grind, but something you allow in, it's because we don't believe God. We don't believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We don't believe the, the, the riches and the treasures of Christ are really ours to possess, or I'm convinced that you and I would possess them in a lot fuller measure, at least for me, than I do here tonight. Because there is a, a, a depth in the Spirit that I wish to attain to. Me and Jordan used to talk about it all the time. Um, you know, we're not content to be mediocre Christians. Uh, you know, I used to say, I don't know what that is. And um, I will still say that today, but in a sense, I do know what it is. I mean, I've lived it to some degree in different times of my life. <clears throat> and the danger is here. Growing up this way, you know the lingo. You know the face. You know what to say. You can go out on campus. You can win an argument. But are you really being led by the Spirit of God? Are you really full of the presence of Jesus? And I didn't grow up here, but I might as well have. After about, you know, as long as I've been here, I can do the same thing. Amen. I done figured it out Amen. by now. <clears throat> But we've got to go so much further and beyond that. And um, not that we have to go, friend. We get to go. That's right. I mean, God's inviting us ever, always, always calling us to a deeper place of consecration, yeah. to a deeper place of abiding in the person from whom all life flows, Jesus. Whatever he asks us to give up is a, is a grain of sand next to the entire and infinite universe. Yeah. Amen. For everything that... that that Jesus has to offer is so much better than whatever he gives us or asks us to give up. You can turn to Deuteronomy in chapter 1. We'll be doing a, a uh, little bit longer and more in-depth version of Preach the Word on Sunday. But just what God's been talking to me about. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, 
that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt at Astaroth and Edriah. On this side Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey, and go to the mount of the Amorites, unto all the places nigh thereunto, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, the great, under the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you, or I have given you the land. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Amen. I don't have a title here tonight. I've thought of a couple. Once this is more developed, maybe I'll entitle it, Turn You and Take Your Journey. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you tonight, God, a people that cannot walk without holding your hand. Father, we need you. Without you, we can do nothing. God, I do yield myself to you. I pray that Christ would be exalted, that you would speak to us out of your word, that we would have faith and action following that word, Lord, that you would help us manifest yourself to us. Open up your eyes, God, our eyes, rather. Show us, Lord, our great lack. God, show us your great provision, that you're there with us every step of the way, Lord, that we're not walking this alone. And that though we can't, you always can. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now there's a more, a, a bigger timeline than I initially thought when looking at this. And I don't know that entire timeline yet. But I know that they came at this point. They had been delivered from Egypt. They had crossed through the Red Sea. They had had some, some victories won. They had had some, some, some downfalls already. They had complained in the wilderness about the man. And God sent quail and all of that. There were some things that, that took place. and So they were out of Egypt, but they were still on this side, Jordan. <clears throat> and that's where I think we can find ourselves too often. Delivered from Egypt, as Ravenhill said. Still got the grave clothes on. But Tozer has a little bit that he has to say on this, um, on this passage here. And he said in the Old Testament, the enemy that threatened Israel the most was the dictatorship of the customary. Israel became accustomed to walking around in circles and was blissfully content to stay by the safety of the mountain for a while. To put it another way, it was the psychology of the usual. God finally broke into the rut they were in and said, You've dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey. To put Israel's experience in perspective for our benefit today, we must see that the mountain represents a spiritual experience or a spiritual state of affairs. Israel's problem was that they had given up hope of ever getting the land God had promised them. They had become satisfied with going in circles and camping in nice, comfortable places. They had come under the spell of the psychology of the routine. It kept them where they were and prevented them from getting the riches God had promised them. And so it is with us. The customary, the routine, the day-to-day -day grind. Amen. Well, I'm showing up at church. I'm at all the meetings. I'm at the prayer meeting. Uh, but is your heart, amen, fellowshipping with Jesus? Are you having sweet communion with Him? Is it greater to you than all the fellowship you might have with men? This was after deliverance from Egypt, after the Red Sea, after the quail. They still disobeyed and didn't believe because it says later on in verse 28, Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying the people is greater and taller than we. So this was before the 40 years in the wilderness. This was a time when God was telling them, go in and possess the land. 
But then they disobeyed God through unbelief. Where are you at tonight in your walk with God? He's calling you deeper. I know he is because he always is. Amen. We as a people, I mentioned it on Sunday. We're going through a purging as a corporate body. You may go through a purging in your own personal life, friend, but if all there is is a purging, then you've missed God. There has to be an influx of God's Spirit. There has to be something to take the place of that which God purged out. And of course, that is simply Jesus that takes that place. Verse 30 in that same chapter says, The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And I remember my conversion. I know we don't all have the same testimony. But God had to do a mighty work, amen, to save me. And he did a mighty work. And he had to do a mighty work to save you. No matter where you're at today or where you come from, we come to Jesus the same way. The ground is level at the cross, but the ground is level all the way through. The same Jesus that Tozer had is the same Jesus that you and I have. The same Jesus that Ravenhill or Bevington or Reese House had. That's the same God. The same God that Elijah had. That's the same God I have. What Raven will say, when you knelt and prayed today, did you believe the God that spoke to Elijah is the God that's speaking to you? Do you really believe that? Or has it become a routine? Has it become a thing to do? Is it a religion of form and a rut and a rote? That's easy to do, friend. It's easy to do no matter where you're at. Here we preach about the standards because that's what we have and thank God for them. But you can keep all those within yourself, outwardly, in your flesh. You can do that. You can't keep them inwardly. Amen. But you can keep them outwardly. But I... I urge you tonight to ask the question in your own personal spiritual life. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is he? Friend, it's no, it's no, it's no shame or no um, less than to, to be honest with God in your prayer. That's right. Amen. Elisha was. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I've asked him. Where is the Lord God of Ravenhill? Where are you at in my life? Sometimes he, get, he, he, he withdraws himself. To see what you and I are going to do. That's right, that's right. I don't know if that's the right terminology, right. but God stands afar off sometimes, it seems like. He said, You're going to walk by faith. I mean, you had your honeymoon period, and throughout your Christian journey, He'll give you, you know, uh, anniversary periods, maybe I'll call them, where He's there and He's real and He's right. to you, and you can't help but go pray. And then He'll back off. Are you still going to pray? And how many times do we fail in that right there? And God's just trying to grow you in the spirit. Right. Trying to grow you and work those spiritual muscles, friend. If you fail, get up, do it again. Yeah. Amen. I'm, I'm revamping some spiritual things in my life. My Bible reading. Uh, since I started, there are days I miss. What do I do? Well, I just start it again. Just start reading it again. Start getting on that, that plan again. Don't give up, friend. God's there. The Bible says that he'll fight for you. If we'll have faith. And it doesn't take much for you. Take one step toward God. He's taking a step towards you. He said, if you draw near to me, I promise to draw near to you. And God isn't fickle. Thank God. Amen. He's so fight. He's always faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. And he's made a promise. If you'll go in. I've given you the land, the spiritual inheritance. What is that to us? It is the riches of Jesus. It is the veil that was torn in Hebrews 10. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Those aren't just words, friend. That's a place I want to know what it is. In his presence. We commune with him through the mercy seat who is Jesus. We commune with the God who spoke the world into existence. What he says in Isaiah 57. He says, I'm going to go there. I'm going to misquote you here tonight. Found this scripture, I don't know how long ago, years, I suppose, and so always blessed my heart. For thus saith the high and lofty one, verse 15 of Isaiah 57, 
that inhabiteth eternity. The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. He fills up infinity. He takes up forever. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. That's where God dwells. In a place in a sense that's unattainable to you and I and of ourselves. A place that's other and transcendent that we don't know much about. But he says with him also. That is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart. Of the contrite ones. So the God that dwells in that place. And fills up eternity. Says I dwell also with him. Who is of a humble and contrite spirit. For a reason. It's to revive the spirit of the humble. To revive the heart. Of the contrite ones. And there in Psalms 107. We're dealing with. Being in the wilderness in the spirit. Going around in circles. friend. Sometimes the, the devil lies to you. I remember I went through a phase. When I was, I was you know. You know, I'm up there in age, I felt like I was doing the same thing. You know, God wasn't doing anything new in my life. And it was just a mundane, you know, where the rubber meets the work, uh, road type of Christianity, which we all face every day. And uh, I was getting a bit anxious, so to speak. And God spoke to me out of 1 Corinthians 9. Somebody preached on it recently, I think. But he said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. God just spoke to my heart. If you're in the will of God, friend... You're working for your dads, you ain't making no money. You're doing whatever it is that you're doing. You're wondering what God, friend, if you're in the will of God and you walk in all the light that you have, you are fighting the fight, not uncertain. That's right. You're not beating the air, friend. You're running a race that has a purpose. That's, of course, don't let the devil lie to you. But if you have lost out of fellowship with God and real heart-to-heart communion with Him, then you do need to look at yourself. Am I going around the mountain again? Am I in a rut? Am I spiritually uh, uh, you know, anemic inside? Have I failed to taste and see that the Lord is good? You're in the wilderness. But Psalms 107 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. But there was something that had to happen in them first. They wandered in the wilderness until finally they got fed up with the wilderness. Friend, you're going to have to be fed up with where you are to get any further in God. You're going to have to faint in the spirit, so to speak. Hungry and thirsty with the inadequacy of the wilderness, they cried to God to be satisfied. I must drink of this well, lest I die. I must eat of this bread, lest I perish. For I've tried the dainty morsels of this world, and they cannot satisfy my soul. And they never will, friend. You don't have to go out there to experience it to know it. All you have to do, friend, is taste of Jesus and know that there is nothing ever that this world has to offer that holds a candle to Him. He is ablaze in an inferno next to, again, a speck of dust. And He is faithful. Always faithful. But you have to become dissatisfied where you're at. And you have to have action accompanying that. We're going to go deal with that over here in Luke. I'm going to tie this together simply because this is where I'm at in my Bible reading. Uh, we've heard the story. This is Bartimaeus in this chapter. It doesn't mention his name, but it's the same story. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35, it says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh to Jericho, that is Jesus, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. 
And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried, So much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Just swap blindness with your own spiritual need here tonight, hindrance. Whatever's, whatever's in your path, whatever you're facing, maybe you, you've got all your ducks in a row and you're on fire and you're heading in the right direction. I think that very well could be the case for many of us here tonight. God's been speaking to us. If we've been listening, we've got our feet, you know, heading northward, taking our journey. But if you've got a hindrance in your life, if you've got a hang up, if you've got something there, just swap that with the blindness here in, Bar in Bartimaeus' story. In verse 38, of course, he cried out. He wasn't content any longer to be blind. And you and I can't be content any longer to stay where we're at. You always do what you always done. You always get what you always got. Verse 39, he faced opposition from those around him. I don't think you'll face much opposition from those around you in this church. So you may might. I don't think you will. But you've got opposition in your own heart, your own flesh that's going to oppose you, as the Bible speaks about. But when he faced that opposition, he just cried the more. So you're seeking to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're seeking to be refilled. You're seeking for a deeper place of abiding in Jesus. I'm seeking for that experience like Ravenel had after he was saved and, 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 and probably lived much more closer to God than I do now. But he said there was something in him. And he had to have that in Romans, I believe it was in chapter 6, made real in his life. And it changed his life. I'm seeking for a, a, a more full possession of Christ. I want it to possess me better. I want him to be in my thoughts all the day long. I want every conversation that I have to have the Holy Ghost speaking to me about this person's heart. You know, I was talking, I had a, a, some good conversations out there uh, when we went on these campuses uh, this time around. But at the end of some of them, I just thought, man, that was a pleasant conversation. They were pleasant to speak with. They told me I was pleasant to speak with. But it just felt like sometimes I didn't really get to their heart. And sometimes you're not going to. You understand? Sometimes that's the re uh, receptivity of the person you're speaking with. But it's, I always look back at my own self. God, was I as full of your spirit as I should have been? Yeah. To really deal, am I going to get another chance to talk to this person? And really touch them and touch their heart. But he came near. The Bible says in verse 40, Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, you're going to have to be near to Jesus to hear from him, friend. You want victory over what in your life is, is, is holding you back? You're going to have to step a little closer to Jesus, which uh, uh, by definition, you've got to step away from whatever it is over here. Step a little closer to Jesus. In another rendition of the same story, it says he threw off the cloak that he wore, that cloak of familiarity, that cloak of the customary, that cloak of the routine. And see, Bartimaeus didn't have no plan to bees. There wasn't no, nobody else that could heal him of his blindness. There's nobody else that could heal you of your spiritual lethargy or your backslidden state, or the coldness of heart, or your lack of fervency. Nobody can do that. Not you, not your dad, not Brother Britt. Nobody but Jesus. Right. And you have got to, when, when you began this journey of whatever it is in your life, however you define it, you've got to know that I'm going to pray and seek God until He answers me. Until He heals me in my blindness. I'm going to cry out the more vehemently if I have to, and you're going to have to, I promise you that. But God's going to answer you, but only through that type of a faith. Only through that type of an action. 
I'm not going to take no for an answer. As Jacob, when he wrestled there with the angel, uh, he, he said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. We can't let go, friend. You've got to, if you stumble along it, get back up. Continue seeking God until you know that you know that He touched you. Not just a theology. We've got our doctrine down. We can go round and round with folks and tell them why we evangelize and, and how we can live free from sin. But is Jesus real in the inward man? For he said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. I asked him on the street and asked you here tonight, do you really know God? Do you have fellowship with the God of heaven and earth? Or is it just a, a, a discipline that you have in your life to be a Christian? Because that's not going to enter into heaven. And neither is it going to continue to be able to uphold its outward standard for very long. Friend, you've seen it before I was here. Folks left. Jeremiah. Uh, grown up just like you, but he can't put on the front and the face any longer. It doesn't work in the flesh, friend. It'll never work in the flesh. But Jesus came near unto him, or he came near to Jesus. And then verse 41, Jesus basically asked him, hey, what's your specific need here? Bartimaeus had a specific prayer request. Lord, that I might receive my sight. And I, for one, want to know more of this specific praying. You see, so oftentimes we're afraid to pray specific prayers. Why? Unbelief. We don't believe God's going to answer. And just hold on to that. Not just pray that prayer, but only pray that prayer until it gets answered. I just recently read Reese Howells all over again, just convicted in my heart of those process that he went to, uh, went through when the Holy Ghost was, was speaking to him about praying these specific prayers and receiving an answer. And he'd pray for, you know, 11 months sometimes. Amen. 11 hours a day or 8 months or whatever it was that he prayed for a specific person or for a specific need until God answered him and God spoke to him. And God wants that type of intimate relationship with you and I. He told, he said of Abraham, shall I have this thing that I'm going to do for my servant Abraham? And let me tell you something, you're going to be any kind of a leader, ever have a family or be a preacher, have a ministry, that's how near to the heart of God you and I must be. i got to be able to hear from God like Abraham did. I don't want him to hide nothing from me that I might prepare myself. For those things. So you've got to have that. That specific plan. Whatever hindrance it is in your life. Or maybe it's not a hindrance. It's just a desire. That you want to see come to fruition. Whatever that is. God I'm praying this prayer. Until you answer me. Covenant together. With, here amongst ourselves. Or, or, or talk to your authority. Say I'm, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I want to see in my life. I know God's able. The Bible says he is holding me accountable. To continue to pray this prayer. Until God answered. Verse 43. After he received his sight. Immediately uh, he, he followed Jesus glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it gave praise unto God. God. To God be the glory. It's not you and I that does it. It is him. But our desire must turn into action. It is a hard thing, but you still have to choose to exercise, exercise yourself under godliness. And Brother Britt said it perfectly. I don't know, it was a month ago at Brother Timothy's at the end. Brother Timothy asked him if he had something to say. He said no at first, and then he began to, he was still, we weren't uh, back at being the pastor yet then. And, and he began to just share with us, especially growing up like this, of how you can just get in that spiritual routine and in that rote and what it takes to get out of it. And I think not just oftentimes, but every time when you have given yourself to a distraction that's not Jesus, when you begin to turn your face back to him and look to him, there's not going to be a big honeymoon experience at first. 
You're going to have to feed your... You have been ha being satisfied with the appetites of whatever it is that's less than Jesus for however long. You're going to have to make yourself. Feed yourself spiritual meat. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to preaching. Begin going out to pray and reading your Bible. And that appetite begin to be restored. And God begin to open uh, your sensitivity up again to His kingdom and to His spirit. For when you've grown dull... But you have to exercise yourself on the godliness. But it has to reach further than that. Eventually, it's got to get into your heart where I cannot help but pray. I cannot help but seek him. And as I said Sunday, what is the answer? It's simply to fall in love with Jesus and stay in love with Jesus. How do you stay in love with Jesus? Just stay in his presence. You can't help but stay in love with him. If you keep him ever before your face. This is a journey from glory to glory. From faith to faith. From image to image. And if you will keep the image of Jesus before you get all times, friend, as the song goes, the things of this world will go strangely dim before you. They have no appeal to you any longer. They have no hold on you. As, um, Jesus, as the Bible says of Jesus, the devil cometh and findeth nothing in me. But uh, let the devil come and find nothing in you, friend. No, no foothold to grab a hold on because you have tasted of Jesus you have seen that to have him is to have everything. To not have him is to have absolutely nothing. No matter how many millions you make, no matter, no matter what it is in your life that the devil tries to put before you, nothing compares to the inestimable worth of Jesus Christ. As the songwriter or the hymn writer said, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. All my beings, ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all mine hours. Let my hands perform his bidding. Let my feet run in his ways. Let mine eyes see Jesus only. And let my lips speak forth his praise. Worldlings prize their gems of beauty. They cling to gilded toys of dust. Boast of wealth and fame and pleasure. Only Jesus will I trust. Since mine eyes were fixed on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchain my spirit's vision, looking at the crucified. Oh, what wonder, how amazing. Jesus, glorious King of kings, deigns or stoops to call me his beloved and lets me rest beneath his wings, friend. I don't think that we really know what we have in Jesus yet. Amen. The, 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 the depth and the treasure and the blessedness of it. And there's a place, no matter where you are at here tonight, there's a, a deeper place of consecration, a further place of abiding. And thank God, if God's talking to us this way, he is right there. Waiting on us to step toward him that he might take us into this deeper place of abiding. This, I'm still believing God for revival here in our church. I'm believing God to, to, to awake my own self. That, as Brother Charlie said, as amazing as it is, and I can't even believe in his life, let alone my little uh, experience, to be distracted by such, such worthless things in comparison to Jesus. Whether it's something as worthless as a board game or a card game or a phone game or Facebook or something like that or something that might be worth a little more like your business uh, or your finances or your family that has a little bit more you know, value to it compared to Jesus, friend. I mean, what is it all? That would be absolutely enamored and in love with Christ and everything would be governed. My business, my marriage, my, my, my family, my ministry, everything be governed that I'd be more like him. Please him, hear his voice, and do his will in this life. That I wouldn't be going around the same mountain time and time again. But friend, to do that, you're going to have to change what you're doing. You're going to have to seek him. Let him touch your heart. Don't be afraid to say, God, I've never had a real 
uh, spiritual experience with you. I want one. And he'll give it to you if you search and seek for him with all your heart. Amen. You know, anything that's not done from the life of Christ or for love for Jesus is just going to end up becoming rote. It's going to become just another thing that we do outwardly. And those things are not wrong. I'm not talking about, you know, a lot of times, you know, as you grow older in the Lord Jesus, as Brother Colby was talking about, you know, there's things that will become, you'll have less and less feelings. And God may withdraw his tangible presence, you know, the presence that you can feel with your senses. But he's always right there, amen? The Bible says he'll never leave his nor forsake us. There's times where God may withdraw his tangible presence and you have to walk by faith, amen? And his testing, and this is part of growing older in God, teaching you not to rely so much on emotion and I can feel God, but just walking in the principles of the word of God as you know them to be true. But, uh, you know, I was reminded of the stories Brother Kobe was preaching, and this is what God is trying to deal with. You know, Brother Charlie preached on this on Friday night, and I know some of you weren't there. But he talked about that, and I'm not even going to come close to how well Brother Charlie preached it. But he talked about the man who bought the field, and for joy he goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field. He found that treasure within. You know, and... and for us who've grown up in this church, you know, we've been basically present. The field's already been bought to some degree for us. It's, it's right. It's handed to us. We, the, back, the field was the backyard we grew up playing in. And we understand and know that there's treasure that our parents have found in it or that those who have walked before us have found in it. But, you know, if you've been told all your life there's treasure in this field, on these acres, on these 20 acres, son, there's treasure that'll meet every need, supply everything, but every time you look outside the fence across the road, the neighbors, boy, they got baubles and trinkets and this and that. And you'd be tempted to be like, this old dirty field here. I mean, you know, they talk about treasure, but where is it? And this is what God's trying to communicate to us, especially as young people, is that you need to dig. And if you'll start digging, you'll find the treasure. And for joy, you'll go and every little thing you've ever gathered up from the world, you'll go sell it all. That you might own the field as well. I want part in this field. So that I can know Christ. If it's, but if it's not done from a place of Christ. It's just going to become a thing of rote. And you know you may say. Well you know as long as I just continue doing what I'm doing. Hey I might make it into heaven. No because every moment that Come you're on. doing something from rote. You're backsliding. Come on now. You're sliding. See people think. Well, I, you know, they, they get comfortable in God. right? And they get to a spot where they kind of dig their heels in. And they think they're just. Digging their heels in and sitting. But no, they're sliding backwards and faster and faster straight for hell. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. And we need to make sure we're going forward. I want to go further, amen? I don't want to just, you know, hold up and become. And the best you can hope for, if you if you doing fall into a road or fall into just, I'm just, you know, here at CFF. I'm doing the things from the out. The best, the best. The best, and very likely you never attain to this, is Lot's testimony. And what a horrific, awful testimony. Everything. He lost everything. And all of his family was destroyed. And, and it's debatable whether he made it himself. There's some who say he didn't. You know, I, I, I don't know. The Bible says other things about him in the New Testament. It calls him righteous. So maybe he made it. But if he did make it, I believe he repented at the very end. 
And God just saved his soul, but that was it. Everything else, he his entire life wasted on the fruit of his whole testimony in the Bible. is a horrible testimony of someone caught up in the world, knew the right things, had an example set before him of the right example of what he should do and how he should follow it, but he chased after the world. And in the end, it cost him everything. And that's the same thing that's going to happen to us if we don't follow God on our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. Let's stand here tonight. Brother Sandy, would you close us with prayer, brother? Oh, Father, you yeah. know us tonight, Lord. Take heed to thy word, Lord, yes. and not be satisfied with anything of this life. Yes, Lord, God. set our affection and our love on you, Lord, that you would be everything to us, Lord. We just thank you for it and protect us and keep us as we go our separate ways and travel home. And just, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Praise God. It's good to see all of you.